was upon him. So, with that in mind, we are going to read about when Jesus was 12. How do I put that? Here we go. I could just hold it. <laughs> Sorry. Like right here? That's good. You can't hold it. Man. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to study out of the book of Luke. Um, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, so we're going to start in verse 41. Well, let me read through all of the verses real quick so you know what's going on. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Sorry! And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the thing that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. All right, so... Verses 41 through 42. Let's reread it because you probably just zoned out. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Why is this important? Because Joseph and Mary were good, faithful Jews, right? They were following the law. In Exodus 23, verse 17, it's, which is the law, it says... Three times, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord, the Lord God. And then again, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So, Passover happens during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, this is them following the law. <clears throat> then, verses 43 through 45. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. So... You got to think about this. If all the Jews had to go to the temple for the Passover, there's probably a lot of people, right? So we can't just automatically think, wow, Mary and Joseph suck. They left Jesus in Jerusalem. What the heck? No, there's people everywhere. So it's pretty understandable that, that Jesus got left behind and they didn't really realize it, um, especially the fact that Jesus was a good kid. So they wouldn't assume that he would just do something bad, right? 
Um, so, understandable. And we see they're good parents because when they realize that Jesus is gone, what do they do? They go back, right? They're looking for him. Um, also, it's important to note here that when they're looking for him, it says that they look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. But Jesus was not there. Not among their relatives and acquaintances. Okay, verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So, one day they went from Jerusalem, then they realized Jesus is gone, they go back for one day, and then one day they're looking for him in Jerusalem, they find him. So Jesus, a 12-year-old, is in the temple for three days with all the teachers. And this is pretty crazy. How many of you would like to be hanging out with only adults for three days straight with no other kids your age? Very rare, right? <laughs> Maybe one in the whole bunch. Um, <laughs> this is kind of weird from the outside looking in. Why is Jesus sitting there? It's like a middle schooler hanging out with adults for three days. It's like a kid talking, to, talking physics with a rocket scientist, right? Jesus was seemingly under their league. Like, these guys are biblical scholars, the greatest of that time. And this 12-year-old is just with them. Not only that, it says, <clears throat> And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he wasn't just sitting there, but he was participating, right? He, and amazing them. So think about this. The greatest biblical scholars in that time are amazed at what a 12-year-old boy is saying to them about the Bible, their profession. From what I'm told, it's like Noah and Aaron playing history trivia. Right? Right? <laughs> right? I mean, Noah's a I mean, Aaron's a professional, but Noah's pretty dang good, right? And it probably amazes him. <laughs> Noah gives him a run for his money. So similar, but we're talking, about, we're talking about the mysteries of God here. We're not talking about history trivia. They're discussing the mysteries of God. And no offense, that's way cooler, right? <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, Noah, to do that to you. Um, your mom gave me permission, though. <laughs> so, not only that, but because Jesus was a 12-year-old uh, discussing the mysteries of God, that clearly means that he had some kind of special relationship with the author of the book he was talking about. Don't you think? I mean, logically, that would make sense, right? All right, verses 48 through 49. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So, Mary and Joseph find Jesus. They go into the temple. They see their 12-year-old son. Naturally, if you try and put yourself in their shoes, I know it's hard, but try and put yourself in their shoes for a second. If you had a child and that child was missing for three days, 
you'd probably be pretty upset, right? And when you go and find them back where you just were, you're like, what the heck? Like, we just left, where were you? Naturally, there was probably a little bit of frustration and a little bit of, hey, man, why'd you do that? Why'd you just leave us there? Leave us, right? But they didn't understand the depth of who their son was. So, do you have a question? What? Well, that's different. Mary and Joseph love their son. (laughs) So... In the Jewish culture back then, um, young boys would start learning their father's trade or their father's job around the age of 12. So at this point in time, you have to think, this isn't Jesus' first time coming to the Passover. They do this every year. But this time, Jesus stayed. And, and I just want you to think about that. If all Jewish boys were beginning to study their father's vocations at the age of 12, Jesus is 12 years old, and he decided to stay in the temple. And the temple is where God dwelled. So so it's pretty crazy to think that Jesus clearly knew something about his divinity. He knew who his father was. Um, And so he says, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? We can also see that Mary and Joseph knew something about his divinity as well. Jesus isn't saying that like sarcastically or in a way that's disrespectful to them. He's saying that like, didn't you know that I'm supposed to be here? Right? So we know that Mary and Joseph are supposed to know something too. And I mean, we know that because before Jesus was even born, they were told that he was going to be the Messiah. Right? All right, verse 50 says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. That was supposed to be a part of the last group. All right, 51 and 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So here we see Jesus' humility on display. Um... He was submissive to the law that told him to obey his parents, even though his real father was, was God. He knew that he was sent to do, he knew what he was sent to do, and he obeyed the father's mission for him in full. Um, I want to read from you from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Um, I think this sums up what Jesus just did in these verses. So in chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in love count other, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, this was Jesus putting others' interests above his own. This was Jesus considering others as more significant than himself. God in the flesh, right? And this is Jesus emptying himself, considering himself a servant. When it says that he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he's not God. It means that he was a servant and he was submissive to the people around him. So he's submissive to his parents. <clears throat> so the other thing to notice here is it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It, didn't, it doesn't say, and Jesus had all wisdom and all stature and all favor with God and man. It's increasing, right? And that means that in this, it says that he was born in human form, right? Jesus wasn't born and just able to speak, right? He didn't come out of his mother's womb and, and start saying, I'm the savior of the world, and he wasn't walking around, right? No, he was a normal baby where he couldn't speak yet, he couldn't walk yet, he completely depended on his mother to feed him. Um, and so he, God, came down in human form and decided to humble himself to go through all the stages that we go through. So Jesus is 12. His brain is not fully developed, right? Like you guys, your brains aren't fully developed. You're making decisions based off your feelings most of the time. And Jesus is still, he's just like you guys, but perfect. <laughs> so the thing is, he went through every stage of development in the human life but he did it perfectly. So his brain is still developing. So he's getting more wisdom and more stature and more favor, right? But he's still God. <clears throat> so Jesus did not immediately be begin a crazy vocational job. He didn't come out of the womb and just start healing people, right? Or rebuking people or telling them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't start doing that as soon as he was a baby, right? No, he actually only did ministry for three years. And, and so what I want to point out here is that Jesus did something so ordinary as being a child and eventually being a carpenter, but he did it in such an extraordinary way, right? So let that encourage you as you're in middle school or you're in high school and you're thinking, man, I just want to do something great for God, right? And, and God is just saying, why don't you just do what I've called you to do right now and do it really well and do it for me? Um, especially like in school, because you're only in school for so long and then you'll never go back, praise the Lord. Um, but you only have so much time to show the Lord and your peers what it's like to be a godly student and to, to work hard on your studies. Um, when I started following the Lord more, more closely in high school, I was really convicted of this because I was the kid that didn't turn in any homework. I was just sliding by. I was lying to my teachers. I was like, I turned that in. You lost it. And, and I would just slide by to get honor roll, right? I did not care about my grades. But the Lord slowly started to convict me 
Like, is this how I behave as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Um, because my peers, they were seeing me cheat on all my, like every single test, guys. Like, it's not like it was once in a while. It was like every single test I cheated. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty skilled in it. <laughs> um, but the Lord slowly changed that desire because if I wanted to do something great for God in 20 years, I needed to be faithful with what he had given me to steward then. And the same is true now. Um, so just think about that for yourself. Um, so what does all this mean? Jesus was fully human, but also clearly fully God from the get-go. This past weekend, Gus and I watched a, um, <laughs> we watched a series on Netflix, a docu-series on Netflix about a cult in Waco, Texas, I think from the 90s. And yeah, and if you don't know anything about it, um, there was a, the leader of this cult, they all, end, a lot of them end up dying in a fire and the government is involved, it's really weird. Anyways, the leader of the cult, his name is David Koresh, and he claimed to be the second coming of Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. Um, he claimed to be God in the flesh. And the reason why we could know that that wasn't true was because his life was full of sin. Before he joined this community or cult, um, he was known for alcohol and drugs. And then even after joining the, communi the community, he was put in jail. And, and so if he was God, would he have done those things? God is no partner with sin, right? That's impossible. It would go against his nature. Um, that's why it's so important for us to understand, for us to believe that Jesus didn't become God at a certain point in his life. He always was God. Um, some people say that he became God when he started his ministry or when he got baptized, and that's just a lie. Um, if Jesus wasn't God the whole time, his sacrifice would not have been accepted by God because only God can make a sacrifice like that to save us from our sins forever. Um, so if this story is true, if the gospel accounts are true and legitimate, then Jesus is worthy of our complete surrender and submission. According to the Bible, the gospel accounts, in Jesus' short lifetime, he fulfilled every prophecy spoken by the Old Testament prophets. Um, and ultimately, he became our substitute on the cross in order that we may know him. Jesus said that eternal life is knowing him. That's what he says in the book of John. Um, do you know him? Do you believe the Bible is true? Are you, or are you skeptical, but you don't really care enough to really find out if it's true or not? I want to challenge you. Find out. Look for yourself. Ask questions. Because God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know. Or, if you do believe all of this, are you living out your life in complete surrender to the one who literally gave it all for you? He died the perfect death you could never die. And he brought new life through resurrection for an eternity so that we may know him. Are you taking advantage of your salvation? 
Are you getting to know him? Um, I just want to encourage you guys that if you're not, if you're on either side of the spectrum, if you're not, if you don't believe this stuff yet, or you already do, I just want you to keep searching, keep asking. Because once you've crossed over to this side and you've had a salvation experience, it's not like check, done, good, I'm going to heaven. I, I can just relax, right? There's so much that God has for you. He wants you to know him. And if eternity is knowing him, then why wouldn't we start right now? So um, think about practical ways that that looks like for you. Reading your Bible, praying, reading your Bible with friends, asking leaders in your life um, to help you understand um, all the good stuff. Um, so find out for yourself. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to grow group, and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that um, we don't have to do much, Lord, but we just have to share your word faithfully. And I just ask that you would breathe on it, that you would bring life to these kids, um, and that you would just refresh any hearts that have that feel dry, um, and that we would just fall in love with you over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody snap or sad. Yeah. That's okay. That was a really good sad. Thank you. All right, so, hey, it's 720. We kind of had a longer night with youth group stuff, so we're not going to split into our separate groups. It's going to take too long to get into them and all that. So... Here's, here's what I want to do. I just want, I'm going to ask three questions that Savannah has provided. Um, everybody just kind of, everybody close your eyes just real quick. All right. Try it with your eyes closed. Imagine who was sitting to your left or right and just look in the direction of someone you know they're sitting there and stick out your tongue at them and then blow like it's like a All right, ready, set, go. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. All right, you guys all look like idiots. So that means you have no reason to re not answer the question, okay? You don't have anything to fear. We're all dumb, okay? All right. So before I ask these questions, let me just remind you. Everybody, look at me. Look at me. 